And Jesus himself said that he did not come to do away with the law. This is the Adventist Pilgrimage Podcast with your hosts, Michael Campbell and Greg Howell. Welcome to the Adventist Pilgrimage Podcast. We're uh, coming up to the time of year when Adventist historians kind of get really excited about the end of the world and a lot of old stuff from uh, the things like the Great Disappointment and William Miller. And as such, honestly, today it's kind of one of those moments as a historian where we couldn't have planned it better, because today's podcast is going to actually be about some of this old stuff. And I I honestly have to say that I always love it when we find new things, but today's is kind of a special new thing. And so Michael uh, was out there as the intrepid explorer, finding and looking and poking under rocks, looking in boxes that had been forgotten. for Like full-on Indiana Jones. Full-on Indiana Jones, exactly. And that's kind of what makes this whole podcast exciting, is we get to do some of that stuff and then tell all you folks right about it. This thing is maybe a couple of days old. It is, just this week. Uh, and so those of you who are listening, once we drop this episode, uh, this is this is amazing, amazing new discovery. And it just happens that uh, I'm out here in California for uh, a meeting here at the Northern California Conference Office, had a chance that we could both kind of meet up and talk about it. This is a rare thing, people. Rare we've thing. Had, we've had like two episodes recorded in person. In ever. person. But this is one of them. So this is here, home turf for me anyway, Absolutely. Uh, in Sacramento, California. But Michael, where were you when when the proverbial you know ball rolled down the pit? Were you, were you did you have your hat on? Like how were you just digging this thing out? Oh yeah, absolutely. I had my Indiana Jones hat on. Yeah, that's what I figured. Yeah. So I, what I was doing is uh, for those of you uh, that are, are regulars, we just had this conference on women in Adventist history. Super stoked about this. Went really well. Lots of good participation from. A lot of different schools, and one of the things I decided to do was put together a display of some books of, of significant women. So I was moving that display over to the library at Washington Adventist University, and so as part of that, I was looking through the heritage uh, collection there to see what they might have uh, that in their collection that could kind of augment or supplement it and put it in the display cases at the library. So I was kind of poking around the heritage room and. Uh, uh, that's always a lot of fun because you just never know what you're going to find. And uh, I looked in the corner and down below, just stacked behind some stuff, was a pile of some papers. And uh, in there, uh, this pile of papers um, was a copy. Well, there's several, actually, things that are really cool. Uh, the first thing I saw, actually, was was a list from 1848 of an insane asylum. And in there, there's 21 Millerites that listed as having gone insane. So nice, there's kind of nice. a, and I, I, those claims have been around for a while. So that's kind of interesting to just kind of see the documentation of that. So someone had obviously preserved this to save this. And uh, I was going to say, I have an old newspaper from like upstate New York with mm-hmm. a list of, you know, 15 Millerites that were in the insane asylum. So yeah, they got, they it, was got a thing. Is, it was a thing and people knew about it. And, and whether that's always necessarily true or not, I, I don't know. I guess that's a debate for another uh, episode or whatever, but you know, I'm just telling you what I'm finding. And and be- beneath that was something that, and that's what I actually found really cool, was a copy of the Hope of Israel, uh, mm. which is uh, a Millerite periodical during the heyday of the Millerite movement, 1844, and then right after the disappointment. 
And this in itself was, in fact, very, very important. Uh, it was published by Joseph Turner and, uh, and uh, John Pearson, Jr. They were the editors of this. And while we have had, I think, three other issues of this, this is cited, for example, in Merlin Burt's dissertation and several other places, several other sources, but, but no one had ever seen the very first issue of it, so nobody knew for sure when it actually started. Mm. And now I'm holding this in my hands, actually put it on the table very carefully, <laughs> uh, but I, as, as I'm looking at it, I, I had this aha moment. I know what I'm looking at. I know this is, this is a huge, huge find, almost like Holy Grail status, you know, for, <laughs> for Adventist archaeologists trying to look for things. I, I know a number of people have been looking for for copies of this for years and to find not only a copy that was unknown before, but to find the volume one, number one, the very first issue yeah. and in pretty good shape too. You know, it's very readable. It's, it's been, you know, even though it's been kind of stuck in a little corner, all <laughs> you've forgotten about you and you chose the box wisely. It's a quote. It wasn't even in a box, yeah. Yeah, but, but there it was. I found it. And, and so I'm like, I'm holding this and, and I have this, you know, little, Kind of happy dance, you please. A historian's happy dance, not really, but I'm trying to imagine that one. Actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just you're just so excited because you realize this is a huge discovery for Adventist studies, mm. and uh, so the hope of Israel. So we know this periodical existed. Uh, we only have had again, only, I think, three other issues. So this is the fourth issue to be found, but but now we know when it specifically started and. Uh, and so we have that. Uh, let's see. Now help, help me understand. If, mm-hmm. if we're placing this in in like proximity to Miller, mm-hmm. who are who are these guys? Is he connected to them, or are they like secondary players? They're definitely secondary players, right? So in in July 19, 1844, that's the actual date of this particular ish, issue, and they're they're launching something because they are excited. They're excited about the. Uh, the seventh month movement. Some people say, will call yeah. these the the bridegroom Adventists, right? Snow so, has already put it out there at the camp meetings that summer, so that's right. Yeah. And so, uh, and and so there are actually there's some articles in here uh, by and uh, and Whiting, Nathan Whiting, mm. who will come up with the he's famous for the Bible translation, the Millerite Bible translation, and uh, there's a note about William Miller and uh, about him waiting for the end, and he's trying to clarify things. So some of those things are known, but but they're reacting to the wider movement. So these are a smaller group of auxiliary uh, Millerites of Adventists, and they're in, and what's interesting, this first issue is printed in Topson, Maine. Topson, Maine. And, and that's really interesting because uh, there's a strong group of Millerites that are there. So there's a group of Sabbatarian Adventists that will emerge later out of this group but here we have this earliest beginning. So they're coalescing together. They're really excited about what they believe. Definitely lesser figures, but this is kind of on the periphery. This is up in Maine uh, of the Millerite movement. And, of course, we know um, William Miller will go up to Maine a number of so, times yeah. and speak and things like that. But here's a, a group that's coalescing that will become very significant for early uh, Merlin Burke calls them bridegroom Adventists. Other uh, historians will, uh, you know, eventually those that will accept the Sabbath, not all will, but uh, some in this orbit, you might say, will uh, eventually later accept the Sabbath and sanctuary. So this this group uh, becomes very important, and it also is important because James and Ellen White are percolating around in, in these kind of circles too. So right. 
this is very significant for this uh, this this uh, formative time period. And it's during the heyday of the seventh month movement, right? So yeah. this is they're waiting for Christ to come, and and they're just uh, excited. And and so this gives us kind of an inner glimpse, an inner uh, a window into what we see with uh, early Sabbatarian Adventism. Okay, so putting it in that perspective, well, then, before Sabbatarian Adventism, we, I was going to say, yeah. I thought they're they're, they're pushing, Adventism. yeah, they're pushing yeah. the seventh month movement. Meaning, before, yeah, 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 but, but yeah. what I mean is this group, specific group later will become significant for Sabbatarian right. So early on, you've got these folks here, they're publishing. Now, when we're talking about early Adventist or early Millerites, you know, publications, what kind of uh, range are we talking about here? Is this just a local paper for local Millerites? Is it getting any traction outside of this? What's What, what uh, particular scope is this newspaper going to kind of touch on? Well, it, it's going to touch on, obviously, the seventh month movement, right? So they're very interested in what exactly, uh, you know, they're waiting for Christ to come in October 22, 1844. So this is, hence the name, the hope of Israel. They're looking for Jesus mm-hmm. to come as that metaphorical hope. Um, hope. And so, yeah, that's that's a big part of it. Uh, you have a whole poem of the morning star. Who's the morning star? But, but Jesus, the bridegroom. In fact, mm-hmm. he's even alluded to very not alluded to, specifically identified, he comes, the bridegroom promised long. And mm-hmm. so it's not surprising that it's out of this group later. It'll be called the bridegroom Adventist, although right. this is still very early. But it's this connection to the seventh-month movement, to prophetic chronology that becomes important. And I think it's here at the end, it actually, uh, they have a thing, you know, basically um, that, uh, let's see, to our readers, um the, it has a little description of uh, to, to send to people that are interested, right? So there's an announcement of a camp meeting, uh, that they're starting this, and then there's even a reference to a second Advent conference that was uh, held okay. in West Poland, and it actually even says McGuire's Hill. That started on June 20th of 1844. So again, hmm. and I like this. It says it was truly a refreshing season to our souls. The Holy Spirit was present to cheer our hearts and strengthen our faith in the glorious truth of the speedy coming of the King of Kings. <laughs> and so I, I, I just, uh, I like this because, and by the way, McGuire still is very significant because where does Ellen Harmon as a young girl share her vision publicly for the first time. Yeah. Same place. Same place. Yeah, so exactly. it's this, again, this orbit of Millerites that, that's here. Uh, and I'm trying to see, I, I, there's somewhere in here, I'm trying to look again where basically it says that, that you know, uh, there we go. Here it is, believing. It's describing our paper. So this is uh, Joseph Turner and, and, and Pearson Jr. He says, believing we do that time may end at any moment. It may be thought strange by some of our brethren that at this late hour we should put forth this little sheet. But we have for a year past felt exceedingly anxious that a paper might be issued upon the principles upon which this is established. But circumstances have been such with us that we could not bring to pass our desire until the present time. We are looking for Jesus daily, may not have time to send out the first number. And time may last the term for which we have taken subscribers. So you, you get the sense of urgency, you know, Greg? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And um, and, and it's not a desperate urgency. It's no, an expectant. Intentional. It's intentional, and it's a we're planning as if it's now. And if it goes past, 
oh well, so sorry. You have a subscription that can take you on for like it's it's just funny. Like they're thinking about subscriptions, but truly this is integral to their beliefs. If they get the word out, more people are ready. Like this is the moment for souls to be saved and to be one. Like there's 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 a lot of impact to what they're doing here. Yeah. I, I like what he says at the end of this editorial uh, explaining this first issue. We want Bible truth. Praise the Lord. We are not dependent upon great men, reverend men, or right reverend men, DDs, Doctor of Divinities, or LLDs, for God's uh, blessed word for the humble Christian has Jesus' own promise. When the spirit of truth is coming, he'll guide you into all truth and will show you things to come. So there's a sort of expectancy, right? That yeah, God is revealing roots. truth, that we can study this uh, uh, idea of... Jacksonian ethos. Yeah, common sense reasoning, mm-hmm. all of this, that uh, you know, God's word is clear, and here we believe, we see uh, very clearly in his word that he is coming again. So this is a a moment, a moment in time, and, and this is a huge moment because now we have a primary source, an original document that helps us, give us, gives us this, this mo, the insight into this very significant discovery. And it's so close to the October 22 date yeah. that you really get the flavor of what they're thinking and how they feel. Exactly. We have a lot of letters after the disappointment. Mm-hmm. You know, we have a lot of descriptions of what it was like when it didn't happen, but I don't always get a a lot of the, the the passion that comes through in those few months that are leading right up to it. There's yeah. a couple of personal letters, but this this is a unique find. Yeah, and and it should be noted, you know, this is before even the Exeter uh, camp meeting, which uh, has Samuel Snow, where he famously rides up, and yeah. and then he says, you know, that's where the October 22 date really becomes significant, right? right. right? But uh, this this shows. This is this kind of searching time where they're trying to figure out what's going on. They're affirming prophetic chronology. They're affirming. They're they're having meetings, regional meetings in McGuire's yeah. Hill. They're having they're having a camp meeting. That's why he says it could be any time. Could be any time. Yeah. And by the way, there's one other thing that's really cool about this, and I'll tell you a couple other things we found as well. Another thing that's really significant, not only is in Thompson, Maine. But it lists the printer as W.H. Hyde, William H. Hyde. Oh, yeah, and, Hyde. Yeah, so Hyde will later be the one who will see Ellen Harmon in vision and write this uh, poem that, that some people call the uh, We Have Heard, right? And that mm-hmm. will be set to music and become a actual hymn. So there's a fun article I wrote about William Hyde that's in the New Encyclopedia of Seventh-day Adventism. You can check that out. We can drop that in the show notes. Uh, but, but here we, we knew he was a Millerite, obviously, but uh, we didn't know, or I didn't know at least, that uh, that he was actually the, the printer hmm. for the uh, hope of, of Israel. And so this is, again, a significant tie uh, to Millerite Adventism and, and William Hyde family, and, and of course he's, he's significant for his printing work. And as well as his later interactions with with Ellen Harmon. That's that's awesome. Were there any other articles or unique elements to that that uh, you didn't expect to find in the in the issue? Well, one more thing that we saw is at the last page there is what's called astounding statistics, and it's talking about missions and missionary work and how you know for all these people that you know they send missionaries out, which obviously is a good thing, but. You know, all these missionaries that come out, but in contrast to that, you have all these people that have been enslaved and brought low through slavery and, and that the slave population is increasing at a rate of 75,000 per year. So, so you have all these people that are, we, I shouldn't say we because, uh, 
but the America at that time in the 19th century were um, were being enslaved in chattel slavery, which is horrible, horrifying to think about, right? But um, and so you look at how many people are being converted through missionary work, and then they're not keeping up with the rate of the population expansion of slavery mm. and people taken away from access to the gospel. At least that's the perception. And so, and so he says during the same year about uh, that, that there was a birth for slave population increased at a rate of seventy-five thousand a year. And then he says during the same year about one thousand abroad embraced Christianity. Right, so one to seventy-five. Mm. Seventy-five heathen made at home for every one unmade abroad. Good grief. And so you get this idea. Look at this horrible uh, sin. And so we know that the Millerites were abolitionists. So. Yeah. When, when one of the things I, I knew right away, uh, Kevin Burton, who's working his dissertation on <laughs> abolitionism, he just uh, hit the roof and be with excitement because uh, you know here is just one more among many yeah. uh, of of significant uh, you know in, indications of the abolitionist roots of of early Sabbatarian Adventism. So a uh, crucial document, and we knew this existed because we knew the periodical existed, but because we didn't have the issue. And we still don't have a lot of issues. I hope maybe some more issues will be found. Yeah. But certainly not the first issue. This this gives us a key uh, window and insight into Millerite Adventism at that very formative, crucial time period, the summer, July of 1844. So we, th- th- this is just a, a huge find, Greg. Yeah. No, this is fantastic. One, because, you, like you said, the time frame. Two, it's the first one. Like, mm-hmm. this is the beginning of that moment in time when these group in this place really tried to put the word out there again. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I mean, I, I don't know how to compare it to anything today in the publishing world, but it's kind of like somebody just blasting out their own personal blog and hoping it's going to work, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. they're they're looking for this huge event, and they want to get the word out in whatever way they can. Yeah. That's that's fantastic. So, and I, I love this. And, by the way, one more thing that's really significant, we have the agents, a list of agents for the Hope of Israel in Portland. We have John Pearson and Wyndham, Andrew Bodge, Cape Elizabeth, John, uh, Jonathan Nichols, Gorham, Robert Files, that's a name I've, I've seen before, uh, West Poland, Deacon Rounds, Litchfield, D.W. Perry, Paris, C.F. Kittridge, that's a, that's a name I've seen, right? Mm-hmm. But now we know that these guys are connected and supporting this publication, right? Woodstock, we have Jesse Stevens, we talked about him already, Waterford, mm-hmm. R. Haskins. So anytime we have a, a key primary source like that, you know, names like this, uh, become really, really uh, significant, and and so that's that's really uh, just a lot of fun. That's fantastic, and 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 knowing that it's out there still, this wasn't like you ran across it in some antiquarian society or an antique store. We no. had it all along. <laughs> it was it was in the stuff. We just hadn't seen it, so we didn't even know that the things were in there. Which to me, honestly, that's the Indiana Jones moment. Yeah, you're it poking is. around, you see the thing, and all of a sudden you realize. I'm holding something amazing here. Yeah, absolutely. By the way, we found some other things while I was there. I was going to say, this box was not empty. It was not the only thing. Yeah. So another thing that was really fun is the original copy of the Bible Examiner. It's kind of like a broad side where it's printed on front and back. And uh, this is in New York, uh, printed, uh, it says editor and publisher, George Storrs. Hey, good old George. So, yeah, I, it, I was excited because uh, my doctoral student at IS, Donnie Cristianto, who now teaches there, mm-hmm. I know he'll be excited. Now, this we do know there is one other copy, one other copy uh, that uh, exists at the American Antiquarian Society. But this is okay. a really nice copy 
Uh, and so we at least now have two copies of this. And this actually, the, the front of it is, go ye out to meet him the 10th day of the seventh month. So that's where we're getting ahead of ourselves. Okay, this yeah. is the... This is where he is excited about discovery of what Samuel right. Snow and others were teaching about 10th day, 7th month, October yeah. 22, right? Yep. So this is at a very, very important moment. Uh, now, I wish we had more copies of this. This says uh, number 18, so there must have been other broadsides that were percolating around. Mm. It says, uh, without money and without price, please circulate. <laughs> <laughs> so get the word out, whatever the cost, whatever it takes. And he's going through the chronology. Here's all the reasons why. And, of course, we talk about bridegroom Adventists. We mentioned that he's using all these references to the bridegroom, bridegroom coming, because that's a, a parable, but they see this as a, a theological a way of explaining what's going on in, in their world as they're waiting in, with eager anticipation uh, Christ's uh, soon return. Yeah. I mean, they're taking the parable and they're they're almost making an allegory of it, but not quite. They're just taking a very literal stance to say this meaning has specific parts of our experience inside of it. So exactly. that's that's a great appropriation. And and honestly again, it shows you how they're reading the Bible, it shows you how they're using the scriptures exactly to see their existence in this period of Earth's history. So yeah, that's and awesome. One more discovery. What else? I, mean, I, I, I mean, just going through a pile of stuff, coming. right? I mean <laughs> I, I just sometimes you know you don't just have one but it just a whole bunch like a you know just all comes together. But one more and and this one's really cool. This is a copy of the voice of truth and glad tidings of the kingdom at, uh, at hand. That that's a mouthful. What what is, who is, is this? So this is a Miller periodical being uh, published in Rochester, New York by okay. Joseph Marsh. Again, um, it kind of that second tier of Millerites, but he will interact a lot with James and Ellen White and, and Joseph Bates and some of these others. So he'll become significant. And this is uh, volume four, number one. It says, well, we're starting volume four. Whether we publish any more numbers or not, we don't know. Uh, we have other copies. We have a, a copy from the American Antiquarian Society from October 12th. Mm-hmm. So it's the last issue of volume three. Yeah. And I believe there's one for October 17th, but no one has ever seen yeah. this copy of October 14th. Yeah. And so this is really fun. They reprint an a, a article by William Miller about the seventh month, right? So they're claiming him uh, as they're getting closer to the date. And, and so they're trying to figure this out. Because Miller was kind of a late convert to this whole thing. He was, he was. And he will at the very end, very close to the, you know. Him and Himes. Mm-hmm. Joshua V was also right. not. Exactly. Yeah. And so, and this one, we don't have the full issue. We only have the front, the, the first page of it. So and the front and back side of the single sheet. Uh, but there's a couple interesting things on it. One is an announcement about Charles Fitch, brother C. Fitch. And uh, it, it says this brother Judson informs us that the saints at Cleveland, Ohio and vicinity are rejoicing in hope of seeing Jesus on the 10th day of the seventh month. And he found brother Fitch at Buffalo, apparently just alive. So that's mm. kind of, <laughs> His soul, however, was full of hope and glory, and he said that it was, in, in, in italics, indelibly written on his soul that the Lord would come on the tenth day of the seventh month. And if he went into the grave, he would only have to take a short sleep before he should be waked in the resurrection morn. So so that's kind of interesting. And what we know from history is that this issue was printed on October 14, the very day that he actually did die. Mm. So him and his wife, Sapphira, and their children, and quite a few children, 
Uh, they must have been absolutely heartbroken later when the, when Christ did not come on the 10th day of the 7th month, October 22. Yeah. This is interesting because he doesn't even know he's perished, but that's okay. If he gets sick and dies, it's fine. It's only he's for a few see, days. It's only for a few days Christ oh, is coming. That's, so that's really kind of painful, actually. <laughs> it is. It is. Hmm. And we have one more thing that's in here. I just got to sneak in here, and that is there's a letter in here from Emily Clements. We had never uh, known. There's a number of people done some work on Emily Clements, but uh, she's reporting about uh, having just been in Rochester and then going to Exeter to the camp meeting. Now, she had been there when she heard the light about the uh, the Seventh Month Movement. So she's accepting, she says, uh, she's so she's talking about uh, this and then she's going out and preaching how some people weren't very, um, sharing this message, very receptive uh, in the vicinity of her father's residence. And so she went ahead and distributed books and papers and she says, and I quote, told them that the Lord was speedily coming. And I often expressed my conviction that the Advent would be in October, but had not strong faith enough to make this prominent. But she's talking about how she'll go on. And she does, in fact, uh, fully embrace this this uh, 10th day of the seventh month, this October 22 date. So it's kind of a, a profession of faith. And she's sharing about how she's going around traveling. Um and and so we see again just a little glimpse. Uh, not everybody knows that there were a number of women who were involved in promulgating the Adventist message. Both, uh, in, in fact, some as preachers. Emily Clemens will become known as one of those significant women. And so she's um, dealing with this. She's writing about her experience. So this is this gives us a very crucial insight into uh, her experience. And of course, at the end, there's an article. This is the Jubilee. And they only have the first two lines. And you're just like, what? Wait, what? You what, mean, what, this what, isn't a complete issue? What What? What happened next? I want to uh, read the article, you know? Uh, so we're tantalized. We just have this page. Maybe someday someone will find the rest of the issue. Uh, but at least we have this one. And and so these little clues are very helpful. They show us, uh, and, and you know, it's all about finding sources, primary sources. Mm. So this is kind of like a little treasure trove that was hidden in plain sight. <laughs> this, this to me is, is a perfect gift for the month of October. This is exactly what I would hope for. So much new Millerite material and honestly just a sense of who these people were in real time, not just who people were after it was all discussed. This is great. Michael, this is a great find. I'm really excited to see um, honestly what else is out there uh, whenever we start poking around in these old places where archives have kind of been forgotten for a while mm-hmm. um, that's, that's that's a great moment and I'm always excited to kind of hear what we can turn up in various places if you were to say what you would hope could be found in the next go around what, what would your top top be you know I don't know that I have anything like that uh, specifically outlined. I just love to be surprised. And so anytime we find primary sources, I, you know, anything related to the Millerites and our early pioneers, uh, it gives, it just warms the cockles of my heart. So I, I don't have like a list. Oh man, if I, uh, but, but yeah, I would love, there's a lot of things I'd love to see. Uh, some things I'd love to hear, right? I wish we had a recording of Ellen White's voice. So yeah, yeah. maybe someone has one out there somewhere. I, I don't know. But, That'd be great. Uh, I love letters, diaries, things that give uh, behind the scenes or, in this case, um, crucial document at a very formative uh, stage. A couple of these documents, really. And uh, now now we have a little bit uh, better insight window into uh, this early early, early stage of, of the Millerite heyday, the revival that uh, that we now can see much better. 
That's awesome. Well, Michael, hey, thanks for sharing the new stuff with us. We've got lots of things that are always coming to light, but this one was a special one, and I'm super glad you were able to get the, in there and see it in good detail. And you got all the pictures and everything, right? Absolutely. Excellent. Always, Absolutely. always document. We'll try to drop some stuff in the show notes so people can check it out for themselves. That'd be great. That'd be great. Well, folks, hey, again, thank you for joining us. You heard it here, right here on the Adventist Pilgrimage Podcast. New discoveries, frankly, first ever in some cases. Um, It's truly the case today. It is, exactly. First ever found. Thanks again for listening. We hope you have a great October. And uh, get out there and like as many of the Millerites that have come before us, get ready for Jesus to come whenever that happens. Thanks for listening. And Jesus himself said, that he did not come to do away with the law. God, God. 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 God.